0: Today, on Bread for the Broken, with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for
1: the so what the bread, the loaves, this is the leaven in it, and then even the reference of 3,000 souls and the law, the law didn't bring life. What we're talking about is a new covenant with Jesus, and Acts is almost like a, it's not a restart, but it's showing that Christ has fulfilled the law, he's done all that stuff, and in him, there's new life. And you're dealing with loaves of bread that have sin in them. And God says, I'll take that, I'll take it, because I dealt with it on the cross. I'll take it.
0: In the Old Testament, the law was kind of a big deal. Its original purpose was to give God's people a roadmap, a way to live a righteous and good life. Today, Pastor James will emphasize that though that was what was needed during the Old Testament times, Jesus came to offer a new way, a new roadmap for God's people. Simply put, you no longer need to make a sacrifice every day to be washed clean. Jesus became that sacrifice when he died on the cross, and now, in him, you're washed clean. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts, chapter 2, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: So the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, this is it. Like, we went through chapter 1. It took us a couple weeks to go through chapter 1. We walked through that thing together. It's the disciples plus some others, 120 individuals total that have been meeting together. They were obedient to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave, literally, physically. And then he came back and he told his guys, he's like, listen, you guys need to stay together and you need to pray. You just need to pray. Because the promise from the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, coming upon them and empowering them for ministry was about to happen. So they needed to be connected. They needed to be really uh, in unison together, you know, for when this promise was going to be delivered. So he talked to all those guys about that, John chapter 13, John chapter 14, John chapter 15. He was making references to the Holy Spirit all throughout there. This is where it happens because we know that they are in this upper room. Now, let me clarify some of this for us. Uh, Sometimes this is confused as like somebody's house. Now, if your house has a room that can hold 120 people, we need to talk. Um, That's a sweet house, right? Like, we can just do church at your house, right? We don't have nearly that many people. but So this room would probably technically be connected to the temple, okay? A room that is probably connected somewhere close to the temple. So these guys are gathering together. Now, we'll see in a second here, there's a whole feast going on. So I just want you to understand logically, What's going on here? How can that many people? You may have never asked that question. That popped into my head. That's a lot of people. I can't fit that many people in my house. Um, there's no way. So, 120 individuals, and and this is key to this story as well. Is they are probably really closely geographically connected to the temple. Okay. So, verse one. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, this is 50 days later. All right. Uh, after you know Passover and resurrection, all that good stuff. 50 days later. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And that's the key there. They're in one accord with one place. Not a Honda Accord, but like a unity of heart and mind, all right? They are centered upon what? Jesus. Jesus. They have his word, and they're holding on to a promise that he had given to them. He says, not many days from now, the promise will be delivered. The Father will pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. So they are there in one accord, in one place, and they're praying in unison, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, can you imagine the worship that's happening there, the prayers that are being prayed there? As these people are together, and they're like, listen, we don't know what to do. Our leader was just slaughtered on a cross. We watched him. They put him in a tomb. Some of them participated in the embalm, you know, all that good stuff, the preparing of the body and everything. And then he came back alive. And these guys are technically rebels. These guys are the enemies, and here they are. I mean, all they have is each other. That's all they have is each other, and that's not a bad place to be. It's not a bad place to be. Yeah, I don't know anything about trends in America and all that stuff. I I try to keep tabs on stuff like that, you know, what's happening with church and all that. Listen, more than likely, it would become more and more unpopular to be associated with a church. it would probably be more and more unpopular to be identified as a Christian. There probably will be intensity in persecution and all that stuff. That's not always a bad thing. If that's what it takes to drive people together around Jesus, it's not really a bad thing. Life might get uncomfortable. I understand that. But you don't really have the rest of the book of Acts unless these guys are forced to be together, united around one man, that's Jesus, awaiting his promise based off of his word. That's not a bad place to be. That's kind of what church should be. When you gather together, when we gather together, it should be about Jesus. It should be about him. First and foremost, on your checklist of churches, does this church, number one, hopefully they believe in Jesus... I hope so. Don't take that for granted. I mean, don't just assume, because there's a lot of places out there that I don't know. But is this church about Jesus? Is this church about the word? And is this church about the body just coming together to serve the Lord and to bring glory to his name? And I'll tell you, Calvary Galveston is that. We are that. We're nothing if we're not that. We are about Jesus, and we are about his word. And our ultimate chief goal is to bring glory to God in everything that we do. That's it. Sometimes it's gonna look a little different and all that, but these guys are together and they're forced to kind of like, we're all we have. And so they're all in one place. Their hearts and their minds are connected, they're unified over this one individual named Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. So they're there. This prayer meeting's happening. Verse two, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is that with the Holy Spirit. Not just the Holy Spirit's in them, but the preposition here is the Holy Spirit is upon them. This is this overflowing kind of a deal. He is upon them. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So... This will be, we'll wade through these waters, okay, tongues. Everybody gets frightened about tongues. Not a big deal, right? We're not worried about that, okay? We'll define some of this stuff as we go through this. So here's the setting. They're in one room, in one accord, and they're all seated, okay? So nobody's rolling around on the floor. Nobody's doing any of that. They're just seated. They're praying. They're just having a little prayer meeting, probably talking. And then out of the blue, so they couldn't schedule this. They couldn't put it in their program, You can't do it. No, this is when the Lord released that lever or said, all right, Holy Spirit, go get them. When that time period had come, the fullness had come, that's when the promise was delivered. They just had to be ready. They just had to be ready in the sense of like being obedient. If God tells you, hey, I want you to be here for this long, then you just do what he says. Well, when is the power going to come and all that? Listen, you don't even worry about that. You just be where God tells you to be and stay there for as long as he tells you to stay there. So they are just waiting. This is kind of like holding in one sense. They have a commission, the great commission that we all have, you know, to go into all the world, proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them things that I've taught you is what Jesus was telling his disciples. Same commission applies to us today. So they're there, but he told them, you can't leave. You can't start this mission until power, until you get the power. The Holy Spirit's the source of power. So out of the blue, a sound from heaven, like a rushing mighty wind. It was audible, and we know it was audible because other people around there heard it. It wasn't just these guys. These guys weren't just like delusional, okay, like in a room, and maybe they were imagining a sound of rushing wind. The reason why other people came to hear what was going on is probably because they heard the wind, and then they also heard all the speaking that was happening. But there they are. They're just sitting in this room. They're waiting. They're being obedient. And then, boom, it happens. The Holy Spirit comes down upon them. So, and it says uh, where they were sitting, and when it appeared to them, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Fire is always kind of a representation of, well, it certainly is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, but of also of this refining this purifying element, and that's really what is going to be happening here as well, is these guys are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's this element that there's like what we believe and what we hold to, and I agree with all my heroes, so to speak, uh, whether it be a Chuck Smith or John Corson or whoever, you name it, all these guys I've listened to for 20-something years now, these guys had the Holy Spirit in them already. What they're waiting on is the Holy Spirit to come upon them for power of ministry and of service. This is when this is happening. So the fire sitting on top of their head has a representation of that. There's a lot behind this. We can't even go into all the details. I won't have time today to do this, but... Of everything that this represents, before I move past it too quickly, Pentecost, if you don't know what that is, Leviticus, uh, I'll just read this to you. Leviticus 23, 23,15. This is what this whole feast was concerning. They would bring an offering. It was a very popular feast, okay? So you're going to have an influx of individuals. Number one, Passover just happened. So you already have people that were there for Passover. They're holding over for 50 days. They're gonna celebrate you know, this feast of weeks and everything. So that's gonna be happening. What you do with that is you bring two loaves of bread and they're both baked with leaven, which was an unusual thing because most of the bread and all that stuff, what is concerning the Old Testament was like no leaven, leaven represents sin, no leaven. Well, why would two loaves of bread with leaven in them be presented as an offering, as a sacrifice? And why would this feast be connected to this event in history? And the two loaves of bread, what we know from the Old Testament, also represent the law, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. And there's another reference that we'll see towards the end of this chapter. We're not going to make it through this whole chapter, just so you know. When the law was delivered, I don't know if you remember this story, but Moses came down from the mountain, and everybody lost their minds, and they built a calf, and they're worshiping this calf. And Aaron's like, I don't know. What do you want me to do? Like, it's a million to one. I'm outnumbered. Like, And Moses is like, nah, this is nonsense, and destroys the calf, Burns it in the, you know, throws it into the water, to, makes the people drink the water. I don't fully understand why or anything behind that. You might know better than me, but um, there's a number of people that died on that day. You guys remember what that is? I'll tell you. It's 3,000. Read the end of chapter two of Acts. How many people get saved? 3,000. Coincidence? No, not at all. Um, so what the bread, the loaves, the leaven in it, and then even the reference of 3,000 souls in the law... The law didn't bring life. What we're talking about is a new covenant with Jesus. And Acts is almost like a, it's not a restart, but it's showing that Christ has fulfilled the law. He's done all that stuff. And in him, there's new life. And you're dealing with loaves of bread that have sin in them. And God says, I'll take that. I'll take it because I dealt with it on the cross. I'll take it. So there's a lot there with uh, this feast, the day of Pentecost, and all this connections to the Old Testament. It all kind of lines up just perfectly as God's just saying, listen, um, what you've known all your lives, and, and especially for these guys, what they were brought up, and, and they understood the feast, and they understood the symbolism and all that stuff. God comes along and says, listen, um, things are changing. Things are changing. I fulfilled I'm not throwing away the law. The law was fulfilled the requirements of the law, through Jesus, that was fulfilled, that was taken care of. There's a new covenant that we're entering into, and that part of that new covenant is life. It's life, newness of life, and it's freedom, and it's forgiveness of sin, and it's only one sacrifice, and that was Jesus' sacrifice for us. So there's a ton a symbolism behind this chapter, just so we understand that. This isn't just simply these guys are sitting around in a room praying, and then the Holy Spirit falls on them and all that good stuff. If you're a Jewish individual at this point in time, you would be making all these connections of like, wait a minute, this is crazy. This is a whole new thing. And it is. It absolutely changes everything. And so that's part of the excitement for these guys who the Holy Spirit gets poured out upon is because they understand, man, we are a part of something that's brand new. And that affects all of history, and it affects the whole world. So there they are, mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire sitting on their heads. Clearly, it's something that they could see, something that was there. Now, you might be thinking like, OK, well, so when's that happened for me? We're not. This is the one-and-done thing. We don't see this occurrence. Out of the three things that took place, a sound of a mighty rushing wind, the tongues of fire, and then speaking in tongues, only one of those things is repeated throughout the New Testament. And that's speaking in tongues. So if you're waiting for a tongue of fire to settle in on your head, uh, not me. I'm like, no, I don't don't know if I want to flame above my hair. I don't know if the stuff I put in my hair is flammable. um, So I don't know. I'm like, I have no clue. My wife would probably know better than I would. But I'm like, "Ah." no, see, we're not waiting for a mighty rushing wind. We're not waiting for tongues of fire. Tongues still apply today. They do. We'll talk about that. But we don't need Acts chapter 2 in this sense. So if you're waiting around, I'm going to wait for the wind and I'm going to wait for the fire. No, what you need to do is just say, all right, Holy Spirit, will you please fill me? Will you please empower me for service? And by faith, you just trust him that he's going to do that. He's going to give you what you need. He's going to give you what you need. These guys, they needed this moment. They needed this. And this is how the Lord chose to start his church. He was going to make this happen. And he's so brilliant. He's just absolutely brilliant. That's the understatement of the year. God is brilliant. He is absolutely brilliant that everything lines up beautifully and perfectly. And it all just makes sense. So these tongues of fire settle on their head, one sat on each of them. And here's verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, that's that overflowing aspect of it. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's the key. They weren't like coming up with stuff. Well, if you just say enough things and ramble on enough, that's tongues. That's not really what tongues is, okay? Tongues, I believe, is a, can be a, a heavenly language, all right? Now, is it always something that is, you know, just not understood by our, you know, any of our dialects or anything? No, not all the time, because in their situation, as the Spirit is giving them utterance, what they're doing is speaking in other languages, in other languages. And here's why that matters. We go on, verse 5. And their dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, it just so happens that at this feast, at this time, all these individuals from all over the world are there in Jerusalem. It just so happens. And then it says, verse 6, when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language? And we'll go through this list in a second, but here's the scenario. These guys are in this room. Holy Spirit falls on these guys. They begin speaking in tongues, but it's not an unknown tongue. It's known by other people, just not by everybody. So they're speaking in tongues and this is happening. Well, People that are close, and that's why I'm saying this is probably a room connected to the temple because you might have church going on, church, for religious people, church is happening while God is moving over here with this group of ragtag individuals who don't qualify to be leaders. and They don't qualify to turn the world upside down as far as these guys are concerned. But there's a sound that's happening, a mighty rushing wind that takes place. And then they start hearing all this, this this talking, and they're like, "What's going on? Who's messing up church service? Who's messing up church?" And then they go, and what they begin to discover is all these individuals are literally from all over the world. These are people representing these different regions, who just so happen. I'm using that sarcastically, just so happened to be in Jerusalem at the temple on this day when the spirit falls. I think God knows what he's doing. I think he knows what he's doing. And if he can coordinate and organize this, just imagine what he can do with your life. Imagine what a good heavenly father who loves you and cares about you more than what you'll ever know, imagine what he can do with just your life and how well he actually can take care of you. These guys show up on this day, and the spirit drops like a bomb on these believers who are gathered together because they're awaiting this promise. And all these individuals, I mean, their lives are never the same. Let's go through this list, verse 9. I'm probably going to butcher some of these, um, so it's okay. Uh, if you're a grammar person uh, or uh, phonetics or talking, all listen, just... Grace, okay? Grace is all I ask. Uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Of course, we know that as like Asia Minor in the Turkey region there. Uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Okay, proselytes, just so if you don't know what that word means, it's somebody who was non-Jewish who converted over to Judaism. That's what that word means. So you have people, Jews and non-Jews, but who have uh, converted to Judaism. They're all together. And they're all from the surrounding regions. And even as far as Rome, everybody shows up. And they're like, who's talking my language? Who's speaking my language? In this reference concerning tongues, that's what it was. It was the Lord was using his vessels, his children, to grab hold of the attention of other people. Well, they all spoke a common language. So they could have used the common language. But when somebody starts speaking your language, you pay attention. And we all know that that's very true. What was the, the accusation about these guys? Was they're Galileans. Galileans are country folk in Israel, right? They get that draw, right? They can't say a certain words properly. I'm born and raised Texas. Yeah, I know. Um, Everybody knew who they were by the way that they spoke, their accent and everything. They're like, how did these guys, which that was always like, that's not a compliment to these guys. It was never a compliment to them. Oh, you're from Galilee. I can tell by the way you talk. That was always kind of like, oh, you're not as refined as I am. So they're like, how are these Galileans speaking our native tongue? So the Lord was going to use that because the Lord is not bound by our language barriers. He actually can supersede those things, and he can break through any wall that we have a difficulty breaking through. He's not bound by the things that we're bound by. He's like, I can make you speak another language that you have never even spoken before. Uh, Dear friends of mine, high school buddies, uh, Bible college buddies, that kind of a thing, they went on a mission trip to New Orleans, all right? And uh, these are Amarillo boys. They, uh, They go down to New Orleans. It's the best kind of mission trip in that you know their trailer was broken into, um, the car caught on fire. Literally, the suburban caught on fire on the highway, and that's the best mission trip you can ever be a part of because if everything's going right, you're not doing something right. Okay, any mission trip I've been on, it's always been like, oh Lord, why is all this happening? He's like, well, because you're doing what I tell you to do. So they are the bikes are stolen, the suburban burnt down, but they're like, we're still going to keep going. We're just going to share the gospel. That was the whole intent. And this was like part of their senior trip before one of them took off to Bible college. He's like, we're just going to go and We're just going to share the gospel. We're going to share the gospel. Well, they came across some individuals who didn't speak English. Now, they spoke Spanish. My friends don't know any Spanish. <laughs> they know muy poquito, a little Spanish, okay? Like none, right? Not even to save their lives. They start sharing the gospel craziest thing happens. And if if I didn't know these guys, I would approach this story with a little bit of skepticism. But they came back, and um, one of the guys was just kind of standing off to the side just praying. And when they had done talk to these guys, they led them to the Lord and everything. They came back, they met together, and the guy's like, how do you know how to speak Spanish? And And my friend was like, I don't know how to speak Spanish. He's like, dude, you were speaking Spanish. That's how they heard everything that you said. You were talking to them. And he's like, I don't know how to speak Spanish. Like he's freaking out. Like, I don't know how to speak Spanish. The Lord busted right through that barrier and people got saved because of that. He's not bound by our restraints or our constriction, anything like that. Praise God for that. There's another story. John Corson told the story of uh, when they were having like this gathering of men and they were meeting in a hotel conference room. And as part of the policy for the hotel is when you use the conference room, there's like a mini bar kind of in the back of the room, which is funny. You got all these pastors together, and the mini bar has to stay open regardless of who's using the room, right? So, guy, there's a bartender, a guy at the back, and he's, you know, he's just doing his thing as these guys are just praying. Well, somebody gets up and they speak a word, like it's nobody knows what he said. It's a tongue. He speaks the tongue. They waited because technically, when you're in a corporate gathering, if somebody speaks a the tongue, there should be an interpretation. And if there's not, well, then we just don't continue on with it, right? So that guy stands up and he says something, and another guy is like, well, there's no interpretation, so we'll just kind of move on from that, and we'll just keep praying and all that good stuff. Well, as they're ending this meeting, they're walking out the door. This bartender is crying. They're like, you know, is everything okay? He's like, how did that guy know how to speak my native language? He's like, I'm from Iran. He's like, he spoke it perfectly and beautifully. And he was praising God, the one true God in my language. How did he and so they got that guy who spoke it and just no clue. The Lord used that. This guy got saved because of that.
2: Hope to, hope okay. the hopeless, hopeless red-
0: That's all we have time for today at Bread for the Broken. But we're so glad that you joined us as Pastor James continues through the book of Acts. This book is a powerful representation of how the church first began. It contains a variety of snapshots into effective ways of sharing the gospel. Some apostles shared in large groups, while others taught in more intimate settings. Some taught the gospel through words, and others shared through signs and wonders. Do you wrestle with sharing who Jesus is? Be encouraged. As long as you're teaching the hope and truth of Jesus, there is no wrong way. If you'd like prayer in this area, we would love to pray for you. Visit breadforthebroken.com, click on the contact tab, and let us know how we can be praying. If you'd like to listen to more teachings like this, you can find them too when you visit breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the teachings tab. You'll also be able to learn more about Calvary Galveston at our website, as well as find directions to our location. Calvary Galveston is a church of ordinary people seeking to live as Jesus did. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. So if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to meet you. Our atmosphere is relaxed, so just come as you are. You can find out more and get directions on our website. Again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Thanks for listening to Pastor James's teaching today. Know that we're praying for you, and we hope you'll join us to continue digging into the book of Acts next time on Bread for the Broken.